Greetings. I'm Trisha Keffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books and Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. And I am delighted to have on the show today two special guests for you. The book is Computer Architectures, Constructing the Common Ground by Theodora and Olga, published by Routledge in 2019. Hi, ladies. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. And let's start uh, with Theodora, and I'll let you pronounce your last name for everyone. Uh, uh, Can you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself? Yes, yes. Um, So, yeah, my last name is Varduli. I'm Theodora Varduli. I'm uh, currently an assistant professor at the Peter Fu School of Architecture at McGill University in Canada. Uh, my general topic of research um, is histories, theories, and practices of architectural computation. So I research mathematical and algorithmic techniques that architects have been using, um, either explicitly or implicitly by using various softwares to design, represent, and evaluate form and performance in objects, buildings, cities, and so on. So this is an interest that's developed uh, mostly through my doctoral work, which I pursued at um, MIT. Uh, I was in a group um, called the Design and Computation Group, which was a very sort of like interdisciplinary um, academic sort of like formation that included people from architecture, from computer science, uh, from kind of science and technology studies. And uh, yeah, in a way, this work is kind of like drawing from these uh, multidisciplinary sort of like interests. Uh, before MIT, I did my first um, professional degree in architecture in Greece um, at the National Technical University of Athens. And that's where sort of like my first interests in um, design, architecture and technological criticism developed. Yes, that's it for me. <laughs> Olga? Yeah, and um, I am Olga Tulumi. I am an assistant professor of architectural history at Bard College. Um, my research concerns mostly the role of modern architecture and media in 20th century cultural and international institutions. Uh, and uh, my interest in uh, computers, let's say, in computer architectures comes from the perspective of media studies. When I was at Harvard for my PhD, I wrote uh, my dissertation on uh, systems of global communication. So I was thinking a lot about infrastructures of communication, communication as a technique, but also communication as a culture. And uh, we came together with Fedora to organize a conference. That's how we um, we basically started this book called Futures Past, Design and the Machine. And the idea was to open these conversations beyond, uh, beyond uh, conversations on digital architecture and uh, bring forth the interdisciplinary production of um, computer architecture and the exchanges that happen. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, what was, uh, ladies, what were your motivations for writing this particular book? You're the editors of it. How did you get the people together and how did it all come together? Yeah, so that's a project that's been in the works for quite a while um, and it's transformed throughout the year. So as Olga just mentioned, the Kind of like starting event for the book was a conference that we uh, put together along with the third uh, organizer, Duke Skolshitz, um, at MIT in 2013. 
it was a pretty big event for us. Uh, we were um, PhD students at the time, and uh, we were really um, interested in the kinds of um, voices and uh, perspectives uh, that uh, were not usually sort of like being included in um, architectural histories of computing and digital media. Uh, we were also interested in the prospect of sort of like bringing together some historical protagonists uh, in this field, uh, people who had developed some of the first uh, computer programs for architecture um, or who had um, kind of like developed some early discourse on what computing can be for architectural design, uh, bringing them in conversation with uh, younger scholars who were working on writing their histories. Uh, so it was a pretty ambitious event. It was a three-day conference um, uh, that we organized. It was held at the MIT Media Lab. Um, and uh, in a way, after um, some of the participants of the book were participants in that conference. Uh, so after the conference, because there was kind of a wealth of conversations and a lot of scholarly interest around the event, uh, we thought that it would be worthwhile to think about, um, in a way, um, bringing some of these histories um, together in the form of a book. But, you know, and Olga can tell you more about that, but uh, as soon as we started the book project, of course, uh, we felt that we needed to move beyond the um, conference proceedings format. And uh, this book was really a, a, a rethinking and um, uh, methodological reframing of some of the of the of the work that we started sort of like bringing together in this event. Uh, so this book, I would say, has a, a much stronger um, uh, sort of like methodological also proposition behind it, uh, which and that proposition emerged in a way from us kind of going back to some of the discussions that we had at that conference and thinking about what the what the future of these discussions could be and how that book could intervene in that domain. Yeah. And I think at the conference, basically, we, we, it, was, it had a different scope because we were trying to create also a dialogue between um, primary sources, like we brought some of the protagonists of, of uh, these exchanges between architects and engineers and um, uh, thinker, like mathematicians, um, we brought them to, to talk about uh, their experience and we interviewed them. Uh, and then we framed these conversations around historical accounts of, uh, of what happened uh, in the post-World War II period uh, in the field. And the idea was that we're trying to interrogate this symbiosis for us, uh, Lick Lider's term symbiosis between the human and the computer became a very important term for the conference. But once we started thinking about the book, uh, we shifted our focus towards a conversation of the common ground. Like we wanted to expand this uh, beyond um, the physical realities of the human machines symbiosis or human computer symbiosis and to actually think about computers in architecture as a field, uh, right, that is being shaped both from the side of the engineers, uh, it's multivalent, um, it in introduces, like, also questions of aesthetics, uh, it becomes a, a culture that is being created and 
and then influences and informs uh, new fields and new questions in, in, in the design in, in the design world. Well, let's start with uh, your introduction. And uh, can you tell us what is, am I saying this right, a polyglot space? What is that exactly? So in a way, maybe that reveals a little bit our Greek uh, influences, but, uh, but the term is really, um, it, it evokes this idea of kind of speaking multiple languages. And um, in a way, this introduction reflects a little bit our process of thinking around this project. And I guess as editors, we had um, two ways of kind of approaching the project. Like uh, As an editor, sometimes you want to kind of like create something that has a very particular um, Kind of coherence in terms of the of the discourse that it brings forward, uh, but in this book we were almost kind of like going for the opposite. Of course, we strive for coherence, and hopefully there's a lot of common themes that emerge. But we wanted to really showcase the many ways in which you can um, examine a particular period, examine a particular question of how did architects, computer engineers, technologists come together to shape particular uh, visions and their technical infrastructures for architecture and computing. So um, in a way, our introduction is uh, the, a kind of proposal for a particular approach uh, towards the history of architecture and computers, which goes beyond a kind of like narrower disciplinary scope. Uh, so a lot of histories that have been written about digital architecture um, tend to imagine a sort of stable discipline, you know, like architecture moving forward with its long traditions, and then a technology coming in that architects appropriate in various ways and produce certain outputs using that technology. But we wanted to move beyond this kind of story of appropriation and really think about the ways in which designers and architects participated um, in shaping those technologies, gave meaning to these technologies, um, and as Olga was saying earlier, um, kind of contributed particular aesthetic and cultural dimensions to the ways in which we understand computing computers and digital media at large. Um, another aspect that we highlighted in our introduction is also the coexistence of many different uh, historiographical approaches. So we have people from many disciplines that are writing in this book. So it's not just architectural historians. We have um, science and technology studies scholars, media studies scholars. So we were really interested in how these different kind of historical trainings can come together. And uh, it, it was a bit of an experiment of when you bring these people together to write about kind of a common period and some common topics, when you give them these common kind of probes, what what are some of the intersections that will emerge? What will be the divergences? Um, and just to add, um, the idea of polyglotism and the multiple languages also comes to a particular, um, I guess, training that we think that, that, that historians who are working on these topics might require, um, which is to learn to recognize the coexistence of multiple uh, technical and disciplinary languages um, around this work. Um, and I think this was coming also out of our uh, observation that there are particular genealogies that are very canonical um, about how computers and how like computation as an approach and a perspective in design 
arrive to architecture. And this kind of like canonical narratives have been um, adopted even like by architectural historians when they think about how computers entered uh, the field of architecture. And we were trying to make an intervention at the time and show that there is no actually one way. There were many ways in which these exchanges happened and to broaden the scope of um, this kind of history uh, within architecture as a field. Um, and I think like Theodora maybe can talk more about this in the sense that like, you know, there are like iconic objects and moments and events within this trajectory, like Ivan Sutherland, for example, and his sketchpad becomes this very kind of like uh, cathetic almost object. And we wanted to show that not only that history is not um, uh, as um, simple and straightforward as uh, we think it is, but also we wanted to show that there is not one method and one way of approaching the, that history and uh, saying that uh, history. Okay, well, let's, uh, how did you structure the book? Because you've got uh, part one, program, two, input-output. We're talking like a computer. Three, um, storage, and four, computation. How does this book flow and um, what was your, like, you're talking about methodology. What was your methodology for putting together? So yeah, I so this oh, okay. oh, go, go ahead, Olga. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, just uh, very quickly, I'm sure you can, like, expand, yeah, yeah, expand yeah. on it mm-hmm. more, but, like, um, I think this was the basic problem. Like, so when you move from the conference to the book, how do you structure the material? How do you know what kind of contributions you want to invite? So um, we decided, and at that point, we were thinking a lot about objects and uh, this, the computer, not only as an object, but also as an opportunity to frame um, the field and these exchanges and its common ground. So we... Uh, took the computer and then we started thinking which are the vital components of the computer, right? So we decided that program, for example, it's very important for a computer to work. The the computer needs to be programmed, right? And then it needs the input and output of information to communicate with its environment, which for us, it's actually like the human, right? Or other machines, Um, And, uh, of course, it needs the capacity to store information that you can retrieve. And it needs a logic to organize its part, which is what we call the last part is computation. So that was basically the main idea around which we started developing the contributions and asking people to to, uh, write essays and have these sections be more uh, robust and explore these topics. Yeah, so maybe just to quickly add to that, so uh, so the components of the computer, I mean, our book is titled Computer Architectures, and if you Google computer architecture, I mean, there's the very kind of traditional um, uh, von Neumann diagram, which is the way that computers have been sort of like thought about in, you know, the majority of the 20th century, like up until now. It's the kind of like fundamental architecture of a computer that includes the components uh, through which we structure the book. So um, program, input, output, storage, and the kind of like processing, processing logic. Um, so it was a bit of a kind of like playful conceit at the beginning. We said that, okay, uh, we'll take these um, 
parts of the computer, the kind of ontology, the classic ontology of the computer uh, that everyone knows about, and um, uh, turn these concepts into um, kind of like probes for historical inquiry. Like in other words, we'll just give our authors one word and we'll ask them to write a kind of like historical narrative that thinks about that word. And what was interesting to us was... um, you know, exactly like computer architecture can have this kind of like double meaning, uh, both kind of talking about the relationship of computers and architecture, and of course, like in the von Neumann sense, talking about how computer is structured. All of the concepts that are structuring our book have both computational and architectural meanings. So in a computer, we would talk about a program, but in architecture also, we talk about kind of, uh, you know, program in terms of the brief and programming space. Um you know, input-output, we talk a lot a lot now about responsiveness and interaction and, uh, you know, the way in which we understand our environment is kind of informational constructs. Storage and memory, we thought, were really, um, would have a kind of straightforward textual embodiment in a way. So we were interested in these, uh, in playing with these kind of double meanings and see how the various scholars that we invited would sort of like take those on because in fact, we our our argument as editors was that some of these metaphors were not just kind of accidental or serendipitous, but in a way, the fact that we use these kind of common terms that they're bridges, they're bridges that bring together the world of computing and the world of architecture, and they're not just linguistic; they were almost kind of historical events. You know, they're historical events that constructed those terms as bridges. If that makes yeah. sense. And I think one of the questions that we were thinking at that point, and correcting Theodora, was, uh, was, for example, that you often hear about the architecture of the computer. So this for us was a, a lever to help us think about how we can find these uh, ambivalent um, meanings that can be attributed to both fields, like both like thinking about the computer and then thinking about architecture. Um, so, uh, like we are thinking about the architecture of the computer, we can maybe try and find how this computational logic manifests also in architecture. Well, let's start then with part one, programming, um, environmental design, and you've got three authors here. Um, so what is this chapter about a little bit more in depth? Uh, what, uh, what do they talk about? What do they discover or what did you learn from from these people that uh, wrote these sections? So yeah, the first section on program includes um, uh, a chapter by Peder Anker, um, who's a, a fantastic historian of uh, environments broadly, um, and uh, working at kind of like the intersection of science, uh, history of science, and and architecture. Um, and the second author is Anne-Marie Brennan, who uh, wrote uh, without a super interesting chapter on uh, um, Olivetti, the Italian um, designer and kind of manufacturer of computers uh, and uh, the typewriters. Yeah, typewriters and then computers, absolutely. And the, yeah. the kind of like labor politics in Italy. And then there's a chapter by myself, which is on... Um, um, Christopher Alexander, who's a very well-known um, kind of architectural 
theorist in the 60s who developed some of the kind of like very early computer programs for, for architectural design. And I was interested specifically in kind of like telling uh, a sort of like less known story about how some of his early kind of doctoral explorations kind of like led to this very landmark work, the notes in the synthesis of form. Um, so, and uh, what's interesting we think in that section is also that there's a sort of like explicit tie between, and that was not planned. I think that's what's interesting. Uh, Peter Anker's chapter talks about environmental design and the kind of, uh, the ways in which the concept was qualified drew from a particular social history of uh, uh, an architectural elite that was uh, living in Cape Cod. So um, this included Sergei Chermayev, who was an important uh, emigre architect from Russia and um, a really important figure of, um, the, of kind of like American modernism. Um, who really sort of like, um, he was Alexander's advisor, for instance, and flirted with the ideas of uh, science and kind of scientific rigor in architecture. Uh, So this chapter exposes the ways in which, uh, like particular ideas of environmental serenity and uh, lack of uh, uh, class struggle and kind of like social unrest that this elite was experiencing in Cape Cod uh, started kind of like seeping into the ways in which environmental design and protocols of environmental design were conceived in the 1960s. And then some of the um, more systematic kind of information theoretic methods that were deployed to um, operationalize some of these ideas uh, like there's a claim that in a way they embed some of these values of that social history that Peter Anger is exposing. Um, and now, if you want to talk about Anne Marie's chapter, so 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 that was basically like a chapter that was uh, a, a, a section of 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 the book that we wanted to address the question of the interface, right? Uh, the input output is defined by the interface, the, the question of the interface. So there, Molly's think Molly Wright uh, Stinson is thinking about interfaces and the language and metaphor of the interface and how these interfaces are embodied. Uh, but And uh, David Theodore, who is an architectural historian by Gio, uh, returns to our central figure from the conference, which was Licklider and his man-computer symbiosis. But now he locates this idea of the interface within the hospital, right? He brings the idea of the interface of the human-machine cooperation um, right in uh, the hospital to discuss uh, the hospital computer project that was developed in the Mass General Hospital in uh, Boston. And uh, he actually challenges there uh, the idea that the failure uh, in the interface uh, operated uh, was basically was mostly based on like cognitive function and not on bodies. And he brings back the idea that like it, it was actually like there were a- physical aspects of labor uh, that uh, created demanded uh, a more robust. Uh, symbiosis model so that uh, the 
human machine cooperation program could work, that the failure with the interface was not a failure because of the system. It was because the physical labor itself was not taken into consideration. And uh, that, in a way, is a great finding, particularly given uh, our current situation and thinking about hospitals at large. Um, and then Rachel Plotnick uh, actually uh, took a, a um, macroscopic view in a way, uh, or like more of like a cultural studies view of the computer and tries to think about the interface and how we're like in the beginning when the computers were introduced in uh, in households, how they were thinking about the, the perfect environment for the computer, uh, how they need to have like a clean aesthetic and uh, and uh, the computer itself created a particular um, there were particular ideas about cleanliness that informed the way computers were introduced in, in houses and the domestic uh, sphere uh, and it's interesting because you, you can then think about how the interface itself was designed and the architectural aesthetic that went into the design of the computer. Well, let me ask you this from, from that chapter, uh, the hospitals I, I was reading about it is, you know, needed to find a, a more user-friendly interface. How is that related to, um, you know, how architects now, uh, need to use a computer as did that affect the interface, um, and pros, cons? You mean when they design hospitals or? No, just taking like lessons learned from that and, and then applying it to architecture. Dora, do you want to like? Uh... Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really interesting question because I think uh, David Theodore's uh, main argument here is that there was a fatal flaw in the way uh, that this idea of uh, human computer symbiosis was being pursued at the time which went beyond the hospital. The hospital kind of reveals that fatal flaw, but in a way, it's a fatal flaw that in a way continues to exist in the way that certain computer engineers are thinking about interfaces. And the fatal flaw is that they are thinking about the relationship of the human and the computer, like mostly in terms of cognitive functions and information exchange, as if humans are purely kind of informational beings. So it all has to do with what you say to the computer, what you type in, the kind of information that you input and the information that it outputs. But I think what his um, chapter exposes is that uh, certain situational embodied aspects are crucially important in making the interaction work. So that in other words, um, someone who designs that interface should be taking into account kind of the particularities of each human body, you know, not this kind of universal cognitive entity that we sometimes want to idealize when we're, we're designing systems. And that's been a big problem in interaction design and the development of interfaces. I mean, people have been working on it for, for decades, like this question of who is the user or like who's using the system and how, like, how much can you actually anticipate or put in the design of that interface. Um, but in a way, I think uh, the article is kind of interestingly, uh, there's a sort of critique there, which is that uh, maybe if computers like always remain this kind of information processing, like abstract machines, like maybe that fatal flaw will continue to persist, like no matter how much, you know, kind of computing power we get, 
you know, because in the 60s there was kind of a sense that, oh, these systems were very slow, you know, they were underdeveloped, so we just need better technology. Like maybe in 20 years we'll be able to make this whole thing work. But, but I think some of these articles expose this idea that maybe there's specific um, ways in which we think about the relationships of humans and computers that need to be radically rethought. Uh, so these histories are critical in the ways that they also open up new avenues for thinking about what aspects would we be con- considering when we're designing interfaces now. So going back to your question um, about architects and computers, um, I think there's several scholars today who are thinking more about the kind of, who are thinking about um, design and architecture more as situated acts that are always kind of embodied and materially embedded and you cannot easily abstract them for a machine. Uh, And in a way, uh, it's interesting to imagine how you would be designing systems and interfaces, taking that into account. Because a lot of the early work on architectural computing was based on these really kind of universal abstractions of design. It's almost like, regardless of who is designing where, how, in what context, you would always be looking for this kind of baseline abstractions that would be cutting across these contexts. So... Yeah, in a way, I think some of these articles by exposing, um, yeah, by kind of critically exposing how some of these ideas were there from the beginning, like these ideas of abstraction and disembodiment, they might make us rethink of the way that we approach kind of computing and design computing as a whole today. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. And then uh, how we're going to be designing computers for the future. Or interfaces in that context. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. The interface of it. Okay, well, let's go on to part three, uh, storage. And uh, what is the uh, was what did you gain from this chapter? And uh, I was going, what is the bureaucracy of playthings? What is that about? I'll put that to Olga. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, the bureaucracy of playthings. We were thinking about storage and the idea of storage that goes into computers. It, it comes actually out of a culture of uh, uh, classification systems, taxonomy, um, people, librarians thinking about bibliographies and how to organize them. So it comes out of an idea of um, uh, the effort to organize information. And this pre-existed the physical computer, right? Um, So by introducing Shannon Martin's Peace is a media studies scholar um, into this kind of uh, history of the computer. We're trying to destabilize the idea of storage as how we're thinking of it today and to provide like a media archaeology of how uh, storage uh, in terms of like filing systems and files and folders um, pre-existed the computer, it's actually not an essay about the computers, but how the logic um, perseveres in a way, like the, the logic of this bureaucratic organization, this organizational system comes and informs how uh, computer engineers think about storage uh, themselves. Because storage is not only about storing information, but also how are you going to retrieve them. So ways and methods of classifying information uh, to make retrieval easy, for example, 
have a longer history than just the 20th century. And it is a history that uh, we can find uh, going back to the organization of libraries, for example, right? So so then you have this um, kind of common ground between library science and computer science, like coming together to understand how to like uh, organize storage in the computer itself. Oh yeah, I saw your diagram with the filing cabinets and it was like, I, I don't miss my, I, I have a few filing cabinets for some things, but I was kind of glad that to let them go. <laughs> yeah. Well, but just to say that this uh, chapter of the bureaucracy's playthings, it was also a bit of a risk that, you know, Olga and I took in kind of uh, introducing a piece that really does not directly talk about... Address the computer. Uh, you know, yeah. the computer. And this was a little bit kind of a way to, like, really kind of take our premise of how how, how far does that field expand? Like, w- what would we include in these histories? Like, would we include sort of like parallel stories of kind of information storage and retrieval in the form of filing cabinets? Uh, how would that kind of productively come in dialogue with, with computing? So it, it was, in fact, one of the chapters where we would love to have kind of like the readers um, ask that question of how is that relevant? How can we make it relevant? We believe that it is. We believe that, in fact, you know, um, there's a fascinating project there to sort of like start thinking about um how far away can we expand from the computer? Like many historians of computing now are talking about decentered histories of computing, which means that uh, the computer moves off-center. It's a kind of artifact that um, exists and in a way is an actor in the story. But there's this kind of like project now that a lot of people are pursuing to think about Um, If you start from the computer, then how far can you go into kind of like practices, histories of processes that the computer has kind of encoded to make sense of of that machine and what uh, the ways in which it affects our practices and processes today? Yeah. And I think also like the, uh, the other text that falls into this category is Bernard Gugekan's piece on information systems, like really rethinking even what is information and how big theorists like uh, Norbert Wiener and Claude Shannon present different uh, models on what is um, what information is, different models of information um, theory, which actually uh, have as a result um, different organizational systems. They propose different organizational systems uh, because they understand both communication and information differently. So we wanted to have like a theoretical piece there that helps us rethink what is it that it is stored and what kind of information becomes, uh, um, what kind of theories come to inform the way we understand storage within computers. Well, that's the perfect segue into, I think, the uh, the part four, the computation. So we've got the interface, we've got our storage, um, and we've got uh, computing. So how do we take all this information and use it? And uh, what is, it was kind of an interesting title, the Imagining Architecture as a Form of Concrete Poetry. I'll let both of you talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this last section... Um... Uh, I think it's super interesting because uh, 
again, unprompted, the two authors, I think, ended up, um, uh, so Matthew Allen and Alma Steingart, ended up um, having a lot of sort of common ground in the, in the kind of topics that they're, that they're discussing. And in Matthew Allen's text, uh, the sort of question is that, you know, okay, so computers were there, but how did architects make use of them? Like what kinds of cultural practices needed to be in place in order for computers to become kind of meaningful instruments? And he makes an argument that structuralism and a, a fascination that kind of existed in the 50s and 60s in thinking about how creativity can be sort of reconfigured as a, a play on um, um, abstract structures. Uh, he talks about concrete poetry, like, for instance, kind of like taking pieces of words together and kind of developing rules for kind of shuffling them around and creating new meanings. But some of these uh, practices that were... Um, uh, kind of being developed in literature and uh, uh, in sort of like abstract art, in Dadaism, in, in, in other sort of like domains um, of art or even philosophy, how they started and, and you know, their, their impacts in process of um, architectural design, how they sort of uh, um, drew architects towards computers because computers were very good at doing that sort of thing, kind of understanding abstract structures and computing kind of permutations of these structures, finding different combinations of components and things like that. And uh, Alma Steingart, in a way, is a historian of mathematics. Um, and she talks about a similar kind of like fascination with uh, structures and axioms in mathematics itself. Uh, and what I find super kind of exciting about this chapter and something that I'm also kind of personally very invested in in my work is that the mathematics itself had specific kind of cultural connotations um, around the time that computers came around. So it was not the math that we would usually kind of talk about, like arithmetic or geometry, but there was this kind of whole wave of modern mathematics that were really preoccupied with uh, um, structural abstraction. So sets and graphs and these kinds of things, um, which is the mathematics that made computers run in the first place. And what she exposes, this kind of like history around um, uh, this concept of uh, axiomatic kind of creativity. And in a way, the two texts like really go together because they both talk about a fascination with thinking about creativity as a kind of building blocks design, you know, that you have your components and then what the computer does for you is to kind of come up with all the ways in which they can come together, which would be extremely tedious for a human to do. But, you know, a computer can spit out these combinations in like a few seconds sometimes. So anyway, that there was a particular kind of idea of creativity that uh, was tied to early explorations around computing. And this chapter is exposed from the perspective of history of architecture and art, and then also history of mathematics. And, and also this goes to say that, uh, I mean, this is a section that, that basically um, talks about uh, computation, not as something that migrates from computer engineering to uh, aesthetics. So in a way, it tries to problematize technological determinism and uh, technological deterministic uh, ideas about the history of this uh, emergence of uh, structuralism, what we call structuralism, and tries to say that that, that basically uh, 
this uh, st structuralist activity, what Matthew Allen calls like a structuralist activity, um, the, the conditions for uh, the dialogue between architects and, and computers and their interaction with uh, uh, these structures uh, were formed uh, in art practices and uh, well beyond uh, the computer itself. And so, you know, how do you take all this? I mean, it's great information, and, and I know you all teach in your classrooms. How uh, do you take all of this and... Um, into some applicable, uh, applicable, or how do you teach all this to your students? How do you introduce it to them and how do you make it um, applicable to their careers and what's coming up in the future? Yeah, so um, maybe I can try answering that because the topics that I teach are quite close to the kind of general premise of the book. Um, and in a way, Oh, we're always kind of like wary of uh, instrumentalizing history. So, I mean, obviously there's amazing critical insights that one could take from some of the chapters and rethink the ways in which we do research in architectural computing today. So there's definitely the kind of like critical project there, which is that by knowing these histories, you can understand, um, first of all, the persistence of certain ideas, their pitfalls, and therefore rethink them. So uh, definitely criticism has always this, and historical kind of criticism has always this um, kind of potential of bringing new ideas to the fore and opening new ideas. Uh, but we think that there's a value in also, um, you know, there's kind of methodological components, there's uh, um, just a general awareness in uh, the kind of like tools of the trade in how you can sort of like think about computers. I mean, all of our students are using computers kind of like on a daily basis. And, you know, just on a very fundamental level, one thing that the book does is to um, say that, you know, they're not neutral tools. They're not just technologies that were developed outside of our discipline and we're just kind of like using them for purposes of efficiency and to kind of like do drawings faster as architects. But, you know, there's that they embed theories and that these theories that they embed have specific histories. So in a way, like this book tries to just open up computers to historical inquiry and to critical inquiry. And we think that that's just uh, important for students as a, a kind of like step towards critical awareness and then being able to also evaluate um, tools that they're using, also evaluate certain... Uh, visions and narratives that come up around computers again and again in architecture. There's a lot of technological optimism in our field, you know, like there's constantly kind of articles that pop up about how we can automate architectural design, how kind of artificial intelligence is going to change our field. And some of this historical awareness like makes us understand that obviously some of these debates are not new. Uh, and apart from understanding that they're not new, they help us um, examine the particular ways in which they've uh, kind of like made it to, to, to our present. Um, so in terms of teaching, um, I guess like I, like a, a book like that, I mean, obviously in, in, I have a graduate seminar where we do a kind of similar thing. It's a seminar on contemporary theory called architecture software, where we try to think about um, terms that are common between kind of architecture and computing, like form and formalism, uh, kind of models, um, 
graphics, you know, things like that. And uh, uh, so I do teach a course that's very much kind of like in the spirit of the book and we include more material that tries to kind of think about these homologies between architecture and computing. Um, and then like on a more practical level, uh, I think it would be interesting to pair these essays with uh, particular technical instructions. So as students are learning um, about interface design, for instance, like it might, like I always kind of enjoy that, like bringing kind of hands-on technical instruction, like together with these more historical kind of perspectives to destabilize kind of both. I think it's 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 mainly a book that is meant to be uh, to be bringing some critical framework and not really a book that is applied in studio culture. It's it's mostly to like help help students think about technology and uh, computers in particular and architecture critically and their interaction as well, so that they don't just um, they they uh, it, it maps out uh, the ways in which uh, certain developments happened and uh, it, it it provides uh, histories that go that problematize the transfer of ideas and the circulation of ideas and expertise. Uh, between computer engineering and architecture as a field, and use it more like a uh, like to theory and critical thinking skills and uh, and evaluating where we've been and where we're going. Yes, I think so. Uh, particularly in the in the way that like technology becomes informative. So instead of like overpowering technology in our thinking of the built environment to think critically about that and uh, what is valuable in this exchange and how this exchange can be productive for society at large. Oh, I think so too. Well, you know, on another note, you mentioned before, I have no more question. You talk about uh, a little bit in this book about artificial intelligence and uh, where is, where's all this going to in the future? I know this is a little bit in your book, but a little bit further out. Uh, is artificial intelligence, is it going to take over design? Or what uh, What did you find in that? Well, there's definitely a lot of uh, people who are claiming that that will be the case, but uh, I guess someone who reads our book will understand that they've been claiming that for the past, you know, sort of like 60 or I don't know how years. many years. So in a way, Almost, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, so p- part of the idea, I guess, is that, you know, there's these recurrent visions and these recurrent sort of like hopes that are being projected on technology. Uh, so I guess like our book is trying to do two things, to give these kind of visions a bit of technical specificity and historical specificity. So like in other words, when we say AI today and artificial intelligence, like, what do we mean? There, it's an umbrella term that, in a way, includes specific computational techniques. And these techniques are not magic, you know. They're, they're specific algorithmic and mathematical descriptions of things that you would do, uh, you know, of, of form and of design processes. So, like, part of, the, of, of our hope is that we would learn um, 
to move beyond the kind of umbrella term and kind of like understand what are we talking about specifically when we say artificial intelligence and design, for instance. So now, uh, and, and what are some of the, of the conditions that are kind of supporting this vision? So for instance, now, um, because uh, it's so much easier to get kind of huge amounts of data and to process them quickly, there's a sort of like big turn towards uh, what is called machine learning, where you would feed a machine kind of like a huge library of kind of like precedents uh, of like, let's say, Manhattan apartments. And then it would try to find kind of like a common pattern in those apartments and kind of compute a new apartment. So I don't know, is that design? Is that what we do as designers? That's a question that remains to be, that, that remains open in a way. So like very often when people say that, okay, we're going to automate architecture, they mean that we're going to automate a particular aspect of architecture in a very particular way. Um, so we would like for the discussion to move beyond these big slogans to a more kind of like nuanced and technically specific kind of conversation about like what exactly will the computer do in that context? In what kinds of contexts, again, would that count as designing? Um, so I think there's always a sort of a question of like what validates these claims, like what makes them possible. And um, yeah, I think humanity's inquiry will always be extremely crucial in, in making sense of some of these ideas. Olga, did you want to take that too? Um, you know, my like as an architectural historian, my uh, my take is very similar to Fedora's, but I tend to to be more skeptical of the futuristic claims that comes with artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning. In the sense, and on my side, I hope that the book does some of this work um, as well. These are terms that uh, usually mobilize the imagination about like a future that is purely automated and uh, and uh, time is, um, you know, people have more free time and uh, work less. And there is like a utopian vision that comes with this understanding. But what we see is actually that these are um, very concrete ways in which uh, profit is being maximized. If you think about like the Amazon algorithm, for example, right? Uh, or other algorithms that try to actually understand how consumers work more than try to like free consumers of um, of free workers of their labor. So some of these themes were themes that we try to like bring forward with the book that uh, this utopian imagination has like a very problematic also uh, application on the ground, uh, especially with pieces like Peter Anker's uh, uh, piece. This comes forward a bit more. Yeah, I... The politics. The politics. Uh, yeah, and I didn't realize till I read your book, I was like, oh, this idea has been around actually for, for quite a long time. And I thought on a, when you're talking on a lighthearted note, I was like, you know, actually what I'd really love my computer to do is to do some housekeeping chores. 
<laughs> I like doing the design part myself, but it could just do some laundry and some vacuuming. I'd be a lot more happy with it. <laughs> um, well, uh, ladies, um, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I, I know we've taken up a lot of your time and uh, it's been a delight to have you. Um, can you tell our audience uh, what are some uh, fun projects that you're look, you're working on now and we can look forward to seeing from you in the future? Um, well, I'm uh, I'm now finishing a manuscript. My interest in that started because I was looking into uh, the building of the United Nations and some of the technologies that were used there for uh, for the delegates to communicate with one another. So I'm now finishing a book on uh, the United Nations and the emergence of this new kind of like public interior. And I'm trying to like situate this public interiors within debates of media democracies and liberal internationalism. So that's what I am doing now. Great. Um, well, I'm uh, uh, I'm I'm generally my research kind of like revolves around some of the of the topics of the book, and I have uh, kind of like ongoing research projects, uh, like funded projects that are sort of like looking at. Uh, um, social and kind of material histories of architectural computing in North American academia. Uh, well, in terms of a more concrete sort of like event that's coming up, so I'm currently working on an exhibition and a symposium, um, which was supposed to happen this May, but of course was rescheduled due to the pandemic. It will be through January. So I'm working on a project called Towards a Digital Imagination uh, with uh, the Daniel Cardoso Lack, who was who is one of the series editors. Uh, we should mention that our book is the first that was published in a new series that's uh, launched by Routledge called Design Technology and Society by Terry Knight and uh, Daniel Cardoso Lack. So I'm working with Daniel on um, uh, an exhibition that sort of like uh, does like exhibit some kind of archival material. Um, showing the visual and aesthetic aspects of the computational image in the 1960s in North America. And that includes uh, part of his research and also my research that is now focusing more on Canada and Canadian histories of computer design and computer graphics. And that exhibition will be held in Montreal at the Centre de Design de Ligam in uh, January. Um, I guess there will be announcements and everything. And we will also hold a kind of parallel symposium where... Um, and also kind of generative artists from the 60s will be um, speaking around the, some of the topics that we're developing in the book as well. Uh, and in terms of my own work, I'm also working on a book manuscript now that's uh, looking at a particular mathematical technique that was really pervasive in architectural computing in the 1960s, uh, uh, namely craft theory, uh, what we know as kind of like networks, points and lines, things like that, and uh, trying to kind of tell a story about how this technique really catalyzed um, dialogues between architects, mathematicians, and computer engineers. Well, that sounds fascinating. So we have a lot to look forward to from you. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, you're very welcome. And um, I'll let our audience know this is a, a beautiful book, and uh, the audience will just have to... Uh, to check it out and uh, 
it for themselves. So they can, can read more, uh, read more about the details in your chapters. Uh, and to let them know, this is Computer Architectures, Constructing the Common Ground by Theodora and Olga, published by Routledge in 2019. And uh, this has been Trisha Keffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books and Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. And thank you for listening today.